Good morning, Calvary family. Good to see you this morning. If you're tuning in uh, in person or online today, thank you for being here. And we are excited to worship the Lord together. Uh, this week, uh, on actually last Sunday evening, uh, our one of our families at our church, Alec and Chelsea uh, Owens, welcomed uh, Everett Wesley Owens into their family. Uh, several days uh, past his due date, and uh, he was hanging out and completely content uh, being in the womb there, uh, weighing in at uh, 8 pounds and 10 ounces and 21 inches long, and uh, I wish I'd thought to put the picture on the screen, but uh, absolutely adorable little boy, and uh, congratulations to them on their, uh, their second child, and looking forward to what God is going to do. What a great day to be in the house of God, amen? Are you excited to be in, be in church and be a part of a church that's growing, a church that's reaching our city, our community? Uh, it was awesome last week to have my dad, uh, Lacey Fry, our founding pastor, uh, preaching in the service. Uh, let me just say, if you did not hear the sermon last Sunday, you've got to go on the app or go online and listen to it. Uh, what a powerful story. I was sitting right here on the front row and uh, just crying as uh, he was just just overflowing of, uh, of all of the things that he's preached on trials and and, and how uh, God is teaching us so much through the trials of this life and just a, a wealth of uh, wisdom. I will say this, someone asked after the service, so whatever happened to your sister who got hit by a car, did she live? Uh, he never told the rest of the story, so I'm the Paul Harvey this morning. Uh, she's very much alive and well. In fact, she woke up from a coma after four days uh, of being uh, in a coma at Duke, and uh, she's an FBI agent today. She can beat me and all of us up together. She can take us all on and uh, tear us up. Is on the river every morning uh, rowing with the uh, crew team and uh, doing very well. But uh, God's been very good to us. But uh, anyway, uh, appreciate him sharing. And uh, trust me, you want to hear that message. Next Sunday, I'm beginning a brand new sermon series entitled Proclaim Sharing Jesus Without Fear. For the next several Sundays, we're going to be looking at how do we share our faith with confidence. So often, the thing that holds us back is a lack of, of knowledge, maybe a lack of experience, a lack of a feeling like we're going to have the, the right words to say. And then maybe there's a, a coworker, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a, a family member. Sometimes the most challenging people that we'll minister to are those that are closest to us in our circle. And why? Because they know us. Uh, and, and so, but challenging us to, to step up and and, you know, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we have everything we need with the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to be a bold witness of the soon coming that Jesus Christ is going to return. He is coming soon and we want to be prepared and we want to help the world to know that Jesus Christ loves them. He desires to challenge them and, and change them. So we'll be looking at Proclaim, sharing Jesus without fear over the next few weeks. We're going to be sharing how students can share in, the, in their, their school environment, on their sports teams, how we as parents can share. Our greatest opportunity for discipleship as a father and a mother is within the walls of our own house. God has given us such a, a great opportunity and, and privilege to pour into our kids and teach them uh, the word of God. And so we want to equip the church to be intentional in sharing our faith. And so make plans over the next few Sundays to be here. I'll take your Bibles, uh, turn over to the book of Hebrews. It's in the, towards the back of the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12. 
It's the second Sunday of 2024, and I hope your year has gotten off to a good start. Hope you're making some healthy choices uh, and, and making some uh, sound choices, and you being in church today is one of those uh, sound decisions. And uh, I said last week, if you can make a, a determination, we're going to be in church every Sunday in 2024. Make that decision now. Don't wait to a game time decision on Sunday morning. If you wake up and decide on Sunday morning how you feel, you will probably go to church about a third of the time. All right? Anybody, anybody else tracking with me? Because there are days, can I just give you the 411? As the pastor, some Sundays... I am not going to lie in church. I'll wake up and be like, man, <laughs> I wish it was a Saturday. <laughs> I wish it was a, a Friday or whatever day, but I don't feel, I mean, and there's sometimes on a Sunday morning, my alarm has gone off and I'm like, oh no, can we please just like hit snooze a few times? You think anybody will miss me if I, if I don't show up? And it's like, there are days that you don't feel like going to church and where maybe it's just been one of those weeks. But folks, those are the times we need the people of God even more. We need the, the encouragement of the body and the, and the time of worship. And you don't get the same experience sitting at home in your pajamas. And well, Pastor David, I don't know, the gas logs are on. I mean, the dog's sitting there beside me curled up and we can still worship. It's not the same. So being in church and making it a priority is so important and hope you'll make, you know, back in, in the day, growing up, the saying used to be come hell or high water, all right, some of you were raised in the South, but uh, come hell or high water, I'm going to be in church. We need parents with that type of resolve today that says we're going to be in the house of God unless providentially hindered and, and we'll make church attendance a, a weekly part of our family life. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 1, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by, uh, we're, uh, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run with endurance, with patience, the races set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. What does God want to speak to our hearts this morning as we, as we consider this year and the opportunities that we have? Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts this morning? God, arrest our attention May we stay focused on your word. May we focus on, on you and who you are and, and Lord, your, your son Jesus, who desires to transform and change our lives. God, I pray for the person who may be listening this morning who's never placed their faith and trust in you for salvation. God, may the, this, mo this morning be that moment of decision for them, that they, they bow their knee and confess you as Lord and Savior. And God, would you encourage them? Hey, as we are seeking to be faithful in 2024, Lord, may we keep our eyes focused on you and all of the distractions around us are seeking to, to keep our eyes on, on our circumstances, our surroundings, on, on the, the, the agenda, the, the things that are coming up this week. Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on you and give you the glory for what you'll accomplish. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. The writer of Hebrews is not made known 
There's speculations that it was the Apostle Paul. It's highly probable, seeing that he wrote uh, over half the New Testament. Some say it was Apollos. Some say it was Peter. Some other, some other unknown person. But what we do know, it was written by a believer under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the important part was it was written to Jews being persecuted outside of Israel. And, and, and the whole book's purpose is teaching us how to exalt Jesus Christ. How to lift up the name of Jesus, which should be the goal of every follower of Jesus. As we've begun this new year, how do we finish strong the race that is before us? The Christian life is often referred to as a race or as a battle, as, as warfare. And last, last week, Dad talked about those tragedies of life and how God uses those things to perfect us and, and to confound the, the world and allow them to see, hey, there's something to having a relationship with Jesus. It's not about religion. The world has seen enough of that. and In fact, it's, it's sick of it. But what it's looking for is a genuine faith that leads to life transformation. There's something going on in this world that, that's outside of our control. And God has a plan. He has a purpose for the church, a, a purpose for this, these age, the age that we live in. And the race of life is there to help us grow and mature in that faith. How do I stay focused in 2024? When there's so many things vying for my time, my attention, my affection, how do I stay faithful? The Word of God tells us here in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, be encouraged by the faithful witnesses around us. In other words, watch what God has done and, and placing people in our, our world, our sphere of influence, who've been faithful over the years. So he says in verse 1, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, to know that we're not alone in this race, to know that we're not struggling in the, in the struggles of life by ourselves, but there are other people who have come before us who are being faithful and we can look back and say, hey, look at what God did in their life. Look at how he provided, how he showed himself strong, how he was glorified in their life. We're not alone. It's vital that we have other godly people around us. First one talks about being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. He's referencing back to the previous chapter because in Hebrews chapter 11, it's often referred to as the hall of faith. And he lists people throughout the Old Testament and even some in the New Testament that are, are, are saints of God that God used in a powerful way. And so he's saying, he says, don't forget all of those who've come before you who helped pave the way for you to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, obviously, Jesus paid that ultimate sacrifice. But look at all the people leading up to it. He, he, if you look back at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, Abel testified of the sacrifice. If you remember, he was the one that gave the first offering, the first gift to the Lord. And first gift in Scripture is his brother Cain ended up taking his life. But folks, he was the first one. He understood what Christ wanted. He wants our best. He wants us to give of our best. And so he gave that first gift in the Bible in, in chapter 11, verse 7. Noah testified of the Savior. Noah, uh, as he was preparing and building an ark, the ark was a picture of Christ. And all of those that went inside the ark were spared God's judgment. 
imagine what it must have been like to be preaching the word of God and building a boat and people are laughing at you. People are mocking you. They're spitting on you. They're cursing your name. And, and yet you're remaining faithful to what God has called you to do when no one else, imagine all during that period of time, the only people who believe are your own family. Now you know what I mean when I say the greatest opportunity for influence are within the walls of your own house. Your children, your wife, your husband, your spouse, your family are the, the greatest opportunities we have to make an impact for the, with the gospel. Noah testified of the Savior. Abraham, in, in verse 17 and 8 through 19, testified of the substitute. Imagine God told him, he says, you're going to go and you're going to offer your son, Isaac, as a sacrifice to God. You can only imagine uh, sometimes I'll bring my, one of my boys with me, and, and my girls too, I do it with all of them. In fact, if I'm going to the store and I have the opportunity, I'll say, hey, well, why don't you ride with me to Lowe's? And, and it was a little bit easier when they were younger. Now you've got to peel them away from this or a, a, a video controller or something you're trying to say. Hey, but just to have a few minutes of time with them. And, and we'll say, hey, let's go to the store. And somehow, as soon as we get in the car, my daughter will be like, dad, can we go to Starbucks? I know it's like a, it's a, it's, it's, but you know what? I'll gladly pay, now it used to be $5. We've had inflation uh, the last several years, and now it's six bucks instead of five bucks. But, well, I'm gonna, and that five or six dollars is worth every single penny to have an opportunity to speak into her life for 30 minutes or an hour. As we go through lows and, and, and sometimes a dad gets distracted and you end up on one aisle and you're like, I don't even remember why I'm in the store. I don't know, no one else probably does that, but I'll be going through the, the store and I'm putting things in my buggy and, and, and oh, there's a sale and this is 70% off and this is, I don't even need toilet flappers, but they're on sale, you know, and at some point I might need a new toilet flapper. So in the cart they go and, and you're walking through, but you're taking opportunity to disciple, to train, to invest, to ask how their world is going, what God is doing. And Abraham testified as he was placing Isaac on the altar, all the while believing that God would provide a sacrifice. And if you know this Old Testament story, God did miraculously. And, and not just in the nick of time, before he, he, he slew his son there on the altar, but it was in God's time. He showed up and did supernatural things, church. He says, don't forget these cloud of witnesses. Rahab testified of salvation in verse 31. She was a sinner who was victoriously, miraculously saved by God's grace. The first harlot mentioned getting saved. The church Thank God she's not the only one or the last one. There are lots of people that God has redeemed from the hands of the enemy. And they have a story of a testimony of, of deliverance of how God radically transformed their life. And so before any of us say, hey, God could never forgive me. God could never. Rahab, in the hall of fame, the hall of faith, God would choose. And in the line of the Messiah church. To think in that line leading up to them, the Christ child being born, we have a, a harlot, and God would use her as part of the story of God, of Jesus. And, and James 2.25, in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, the harlot, justified by works, 
which you received the messengers and sent them out another way. In other words, God would use her as a part of his story to do something supernatural. Enoch testified in, in verse 5 of the second coming. He's a picture of our hope. He walked with God and, and God took him on to heaven. What a glorious picture of, of the testimony of God. Sarah testified of his sovereignty in, in verses 11 and 12 of Hebrews chapter 11. And imagine God opened Sarah's womb when she was a mere 90 years old. And she had a baby. Anybody in here 90 years old? Anybody that's it's close to 90 even thought about having a child in the last 50 years? No! But Sarah did. And, and she believed God. And, and she trusted God and his sovereignty and his plan. God used her as a part of his story. He opened her room. And it's a reminder for us not to give up on God. He's still working, church. We, who, those are the, these are the faithful people. I wonder this morning, who are the faithful people around your life? Who are the people that God has placed? Maybe it was a godly mother or a father or a grandmother or a grandfather or a neighbor or a co-worker that God put there exactly at the very second, the moment you needed to hear the truth of the gospel. And they poured into your life. They taught you that God loves you. He has a purpose and a plan. And I'm thankful for my dad. And boy, he, he loved me huge shoes to fill because of his faithfulness. But God, I'm thankful for our missionaries who serve in contexts and countries that most of us could never fathom working. Dave and Sarah Carroll have been serving for 20 years in the country of Brazil. Folks, we took a mission team there in 2018 and 19. And I'm telling you, it's not easy. The first Four or five years of their ministry, they were living in the jungles of Brazil. Slightly different than Carrie. <laughs> Slightly different than Raleigh Durham and, and, and living in the Triangle. You don't go to the Hurricanes game on a Friday night and, and sit there eating a fancy meal at a restaurant. Uh, there is no, n none of that. It's, 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 it's unbelievable, and yet they were faithful and and they've planted church after church, and God's given them a, a, a huge mission field and opportunity. And, and I'm thankful they've, they've been faithful. Omar Maria Palavicinas, I'm telling you, if you're in some of these people in this picture, look at that top right. Anybody recognize anybody up there? Uh, is he in the building right now? Where's Jackson at? Uh, anyway, uh, it's awesome to, to consider all of the people that this man right here on the far left. I met Omar in the summer of 1998, 16, 17 years old, studying to be a pastor. I was 22 years old, uh, a brand new youth pastor, knew absolutely nothing. We bonded, we built a relationship. We prayed for each other. In those early days, this was before 
the internet, folks. <laughs> this was before Al Gore invented the, I'm, I'm playing, I, I digress, but it's before all of that. I, there was no email in those early days, and we would write a letter, and then you hope it got to that person, and then and we lost contact with each other for several years. I'm not kidding, all this happened, and then one day I get a, a, I get a phone call, and uh, it's Pastor Omar, and my wife answered the phone, and and uh, she said, oh, it's some telemarketer, and she hung up. <laughs> she couldn't understand him. He was, he was speaking in Spanish, and, and he called back and said, Miss Tana, it's Omar. And then so finally I, I was like, oh, it's, 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 uh, I grabbed the phone, and I'm, I'm talking to Pastor Omar, and we finally reconnected. And all these years, just like in this picture, he's impacted so many lives in this church and around the world and, and planted churches and he's been a faithful witness of the uh, of the life transformation of the gospel pastor ezekiel keisha in in delhi india i had the opportunity of meeting him in 2012 i believe it was and um i heard this man he got up on stage and was leading a bunch of kids singing a song matt it was just unbelievable his enthusiasm his excitement was so contagious and he was the and so then i got a chance to go to delhi and meet his church at grace church delhi it is one of the coolest churches i've ever been to in my life you say what was so cool about it well you wouldn't even know it was there because all that you had to announce that we were at the church was a giant g on a door in a back alley somewhere. And I'm sitting here going, this is the church I've heard about for several years now. It's on the University of Delhi's campus. So imagine like NC State, but University of Delhi, thousands and thousands and thousands of people are coming from all over the entire country of India. And really that whole region of the world, they go there to go to school at University of Delhi and there's literally just hundreds of thousands of students on this campus and they come there to go to school and he is ministering to them and and the you don't have the freedom to just go on the street and make disciples like we do to here and so there's a g on the door that's the only way that i would have even had a clue that it was there but you know what they did they would go out and have bible studies and invite people in the community and and, and build relationships and the whole time we were there, one day we went to Taj Mahal, and he took us to Taj Mahal. We had the, the picture, you're like, you're looking like you're picking it up by the, by the top of the spire of the Taj Mahal, and we did all that cool stuff, but all these college students were on the van, and, and I realized that day we were paying for a ton of people to go see the Taj Mahal. It was all part of his discipleship strategy, because I was talking, I said, hey, tell me how, how long have you been going to Grace Church? And like, I've never actually been there before. But one of my friends invited me, and, and so I came today on this trip, and I was like, wow, this right here, this going to see a, 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 one of the wonders of the world is, is a discipleship opportunity. And as we're walking, we're building relationships, we're talking, and I'm realizing story after story of life change. And what happens is these kids are getting saved in that environment. And then they're going back to southern India or northeast India, and they're helping plant churches in their cities and their, their parts of their villages and their communities. And Pastor Ezekiel has such a heart for the people of India. 
and has planted multiple churches and God's using him in supernatural ways. Pastor Elijah and Claudia Marar are planting churches in Romania and all across Europe. And church, if those that went on our team this year and even in, in previous years, got to see just a, now this is an old picture. I was trying to find one with all three of them in there. But just a small glimpse of what God is doing in the country of Romania and Ukraine through the ministry of this family who's been faithful to share the good news. And it's not easy. In fact, we, our team all wept as we learned the, the, what they are experiencing and the, the, the ravages of war on a nation and what they're facing. But yet they're able to point people toward faith in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for a church staff that surround me, that pray for me, that encourage me, that help me help carry out the vision that God has given for our church. I'm thankful for officers and, and their spouses who serve our church body. They pray for the kingdom of God and they rejoice when God is adding people to the church and, and they're transforming lives. I'm thankful for faithful church members who pray, that support the local church with their attendance, their service, their, their giving. You're the backbone of what is happening here in this place. The writer says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lean into that. In other words, draw strength from those around us that God is using in a powerful way. They're not spectators. They're testifiers of the life-changing power of the gospel. The great heroes of the faith are bearing witness to us that God first bore witness to them. Their witness carries on today and gives us assurance the race can still be won. They knew firsthand what it was to be a winner. The company is eternal. Imagine running into a stadium filled with men and women who have faithfully served the Lord. They're here cheering all of us on to, be, to victory. Church, be encouraged. Lean into that cloud of witnesses. But he goes on, he says, be motivated. In the second part of verse 1, he says, be motivated by godly uh, exhortation. Wherefore, we're seeing we're compassionate about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us. What's he saying? He says, there's so much that is weighing us down, that keeps us from being successful, keeps us from being faithful. Sometimes there are things that hinder our performances in life. They can be good things, but they hold us back. The Bible encourages, he says, lay aside those things. Lay aside whatever it might be that keeps us from being at our best. Let go of every weight and sin that clings so closely. The thing that holds us back from living a life that truly counts for Jesus. He says, lay aside those things. In other words, recognize hindrances. Recognize the things that are keeping us from being at our best. As he says, lay aside every weight, anything that takes away the spiritual sensitivity of our hearts. The lights, the screens, the music, anything that takes away our, that distracts our hearts 
from living for God that's hindering our walk, our growth. These things are holding us back. He said they're keeping us from running the race. God has, he says, set those things. And for every one of us, it's different. What is he saying? He says, it's not saying these are all bad things. In fact, they could be very good things that we love that are, uh, man, I just, Pastor David, you don't understand. I mean, I just love what, and you fill in the blank. But the reality is if that thing is distracting us from our walk and our worship, it's keeping us from what we ought to be doing as followers of Jesus. Set those things aside. Then he goes on, he says, remove entanglements. Verse 1 says, every sin that clings so closely to us. What did Satan tell Adam and Eve? He says, you're not going to surely die. You'll become like God. He's appealing to their pride. But sin has a way of ensnaring us. One word in the Greek describes a garment that's wrapped tightly around one's body. Perhaps it's tied. Uh, as, sometimes I see people come in and they've got a scarf. and it, it, It's like it's wrapped around us. And sometimes it's so tight. Uh, some people like to wrap up in these cocoon blankets or, or weighted blankets. I would feel like I was trapped and dying under there. I mean, just not going to happen. Uh, I'm not a claustrophobic person. But the reality is, he says, anything that's entangling us, anything that's holding us back. Years ago at my first house, I was single, bought my very first house. And uh, I had this tree in the front yard that the roots were growing up, you know, above the ground. I don't know what the deal was with it, but they were growing up. And so I was trying to, you know, maneuver the, the lawnmower around this tree. It was like hard to mow the grass. And so I came up with this really genius plan. I mean, the, 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 the gardener that I was not at the time, I've learned a lot since then, but I, I, I put some soil around it and I put stone all around that tree and I went to the, 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 uh, uh, nursery and I bought a bunch of English ivy and I I planted English ivy all around the base of that tree and my dad looked at me and he says you're crazy he said that will take over the entire house I mean meanwhile it's 20 feet out in the front yard he said it's going to take over you do not want to plant English ivy around this tree and yeah when you're 22 years old, you know everything. I mean, I planted English ivy, and I was out there miracle throwing that mess. I'm like, we're going to have ivy. It's going to be beautiful. And I was, you know, I was like envisioning uh, these houses in Charleston and Savannah where ivy is growing all over the sides of the house. And it looks great. You know, it looks so cool. And I was picturing a garden pathway with ivy growing. There's stepping stones. And as much as I hate snakes, you'd think I'd do away with ivy. But anyway, I didn't learn my lesson. And my dad said, it's going to take over the entire house. I haven't lived in that house in 22 years. But about six months ago, I paid a visit by that house. And would you know it, my dad was right. I mean, Ivy was in the top of the trees. I mean, it was everywhere. And there was, um, there was Ivy from the top to the bottom and choking out the tree. They looked like they were dying. And I'm sitting here going, what in the world just happened? But uh, the whole time I lived there, I didn't do anything. And, and I was kidding. He said, it's going to take over the whole house. And I was like, oh, he's not going to do it. Some people like English Ivy. I didn't learn my lesson with that house, though, because I... Moved again, and guess what? I planted English ivy. In fact, I moved another time. I was living next door to John and Darlene Humphreys, and I planted English ivy at that house too because I'm thinking, what's good at one house is good at another house. And so I planted English ivy all along the, the border of my beds, and 
But you know what happened? It began to creep up onto the front porch. And it loves brick. I mean, it loves brick. And before long, it was growing all on the steps. And my wife is like, no one's even going to go. They think our house is abandoned. I mean, I would I'd get out there with scissors, as crazy OCD as I was. I was cutting that ivy, and it was growing in between all. It looked just like Savannah, Georgia. I was like, I love this. This is so cool. One day, though, I go out there, and it's dug into the concrete on my foundation of my house. And I realized that's what my dad was talking about. It's literally brought in, it's gone into the mortar. And as I had to rip all that mess off that house, and then I'm rounding ivy like there's no tomorrow. And thinking, I want to get rid of this English ivy. I realized that's what he was talking about. Sin is exactly like that. It's entangling. It looks good. The ads show the young, muscular, beautiful, in-shape people appearing to live their best life now. What it doesn't show you is the life of addiction, the life of, uh, of sorrow, the families that have been destroyed by sin and, and things that on the surface look good. But if we're not careful, we become entangled in those things. They hinder our walk with Jesus. They get our eyes off. And there's a lot of people in this life that used to live for God, used to prioritize God's word, used to go to church, used to have a relationship, and somehow they became entangled. And what happens is their families are torn apart. They're ruined. The end result of addiction and sinful behavior. It's been said that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Do you hear that? Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. He says remove those entanglements. They'll keep us from being able to run. And then what does he say? He says run with endurance. Run with endurance. Once we've removed the obstacles that keeps us from running well, there's one thing left to do. Run. Run. And he says, he says, God has a plan for each of our life. He created us in his image. And to bring glory to him, our lives ought to reflect our great Savior. Sometimes the course is unique. It might seem to, to be a, uh, mostly uphill. Maybe our, uh, the, the course that we're running seems to be uphill. I, my first or second 5K was a missions 5K, and it was benefiting some mission that a church was doing in Haiti. And, and on the course description, I've only ran one, you know. It was at a school, and I think it benefited something at the school. And the next one was a church one. I was like, well, hey, I'm a pastor. I'll do this. So I, I read the course description. It says mostly downhill. That's my kind of course. I mean, I can run downhill. It's the uphill stuff that's so hard. And, and so I signed up. I paid my registration. The only thing downhill was running out of the church parking lot. Everything else was uphill. The entire, I was like, you lied. I mean, you, you tricked us. I mean, you just, but the reality is, is the, the race sometimes can be uphill. Sometimes it's mountainous. It's, it, it's lots of turns and elevation changes. The race is long. Some of us, it's, it's, it's extra long. But folks, I may not be able to run your race, but I can run the race that God has called me to do. 
and he's equipping me. He's, he's working out, and he wants us to finish strong. Micah, our oldest son, graduates in a week and a half. The last few weeks, his mom and I have been encouraging him, finish strong. Don't give up. He's so done with school. In fact, I think Tuesday is his last day of class because he didn't have to take any of his exams. I mean, how cool is that? But what happens is that's what happens when you're a senior and you're smart. But the reality is, as I'm sitting here going, I didn't have that in my, in my wheelhouse. But uh, he, he, we're trying to get him across that stage. Savannah graduates in May from college. And, and we're trying to encourage her, finish strong. When, when the temptation is to quit, to check out, to, to leave and, and just be done, don't let the work the workload gets you bogged down so that you don't finish well. Run with perseverance. The reality is this morning as we get closer to the time when God takes us home, it's so important that we don't give up. It's so important that we remain faithful. The story of Bill Broadhurst was in 1981. He entered the Pepsi Challenge, a 10,000 meter race in Omaha, Nebraska. Surgery 10 years earlier for an aneurysm of the brain had left him paralyzed on his left side. Now on that misty July morning, he stands with 1,200 men and women at the starting line. The gun sounds. The crowd surges forward. Bill throws his stiff left leg forward, pivots on it at his, as his foot hits the ground, sweats rolling down his face, pain pierces his ankle, but he keeps going. Some of the runners finished in about 30 minutes, but two hours and 29 minutes later, Bill crosses the finish line. A man approached him from a small group of remaining bystanders. Though exhausted, Bill recognizes him from the paper, pictures in the paper. He's Bill Rogers, the famous marathon runner who then draped his newly won medal around Bill's neck. Bill brought her finish was as glorious as that of the world's greatest, even though he finished last. Why? Because he ran with endurance. William Barclay describes it this way. He says, that determination, unhasting and unresting, unhurrying and yet undelaying, which goes steadily on, which refuses to be deflected, obstacles will not dawn it, delays will not depress it, Discouragements will not take its hope away. It will halt neither for discouragement from within nor for opposition from without. Friends, it is possible for each of us to possess conquering patience, putting one foot in front of the other until we reach that glorious end. We must run with endurance. And I'm going to end with this. Thirdly, he says, be always focused on Jesus. In running, as in most sports, where you look is so important. Nothing will throw off your stride or slow you down more than looking at your feet or the, the runner that's coming up behind you or on the crowds. And when I was in college, I remember one of the classes I was most excited about taking was homiletics. And they're teaching you how to preach. And the pastor that I, I got to sit under at Trinity was just he was phenomenal. He was a very gifted communicator, and he, was, he had a photographic memory. So every book he read, he remembered every single thing. And it was just like, 
I mean, I'm sitting here going, this is the person teaching my class. I mean, I'm so, I was so excited, but our class met in the chapel there at Trinity, and the chapel would seat 800, 1,000 people. It's a huge building. It had balconies going all the way up and down the sides, and, and, and so I was, as we got closer to the time where I had to preach in class, I'm sitting here thinking, there's like 35, 40 people in my class, but you're standing in a room that seats upwards of 1,000 people, and I'm like... I'm just terrified of what it's going to be like to be up in front of all of that big, massive room and that huge platform with balconies all around you. And I mean, I played the piano, and so I was often playing in, in chapel. It's a, I'd been up on the stage many times, but never in that capacity. And so you know what did I what I did? I, I got I knew someone that was worked in, in uh, uh, maintenance or, or the, uh, housekeeping, and I, I got into the the chapel, and for several nights I went in and I preached my sermon that I was going to preach in class to an empty room. You know what it did? It helped me learn how to stand, stage presence, how to look out, how to connect and, and watch people. And, and, and obviously there was no one sitting there in the time, but when I got up to actually do it in, in class for the very first time, I I didn't have that same sense of nervousness because I learned where to look. I learned how to connect, how to, how to look up and, and, and watch the crowd. And it, it was part of that process of learning. And folks, in the race of life, we must keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Verse 2 tells us he's the author. He's the finisher. He's the perfecter of our faith who endured the cross and is seated on the right hand of the throne of God. He says, with everything around us, seeking to entangle us, to distract us, he says, keep our eyes on Jesus. Verse 3, consider him who endured uh, the, the, the such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. What's he saying? Don't lose sight of Jesus, all that he's endured for us. We don't want to get sidetracked and lose the race. Paul tells us in Galatians 6, 9, he says, he says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall what? Reap if we faint not. In other words, if we remain faithful to the end, you're going to see that blessing. You're going to have the, the blessing of hearing God say, well done, good and what? Faithful servants. It should be the desire of every Christian to hear, well done, faithful servant. We keep our eyes on Jesus when storms come our way. We won't be blown off course. When trials come our way, we can count it all joy. When deep waters come, we recognize he's right there with us in the fire, in the times of trial. What's the application? Don't forget all of the faithful people, the faithful witnesses that have gone on before us. They paved the way. For the church today. They've prayed. They preached. They served. They gave. They sacrificed. So that you and I. One day might be saved. And that we would have an opportunity one day. To make disciples. I look across our, our church. And there is every age group. Represented. I talked to a, a couple last year. And they said hey. We just want to make sure that there's room for us. If, we, if God leads us here, is there a place for us at Calvary? And I'm like, absolutely. We need 
people that are older, that are wiser, that have gone through trials to say, you know what? When you think this is the worst thing that's ever happened in your entire life, you need someone else to come alongside you and put your arm, their arm around you and say, you're going to make it. I've been there. I've experienced, Dad talked about that last week. He said, because I'd go to people who would face tragedy and say, I knew what you were going through. And he said, to be honest, I didn't. Until I faced tragedy. Until I faced trials. And then I'm like, lean into those relationships. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I wonder this morning, what is holding you back? What is hindering your race from being faithful, not only this year, but until Jesus returns to take us home? What's hindering your race? Set aside the things that are keeping you from running well. Those encumbrances, those hindrances, those sins, those distractions, set those things aside. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Don't grow weary. Don't grow faint-hearted. Run with endurance, keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. And I love what he says, Paul writes in Philippians 3. He says, brethren, I do not consider myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting the things that are behind, reaching forth to the things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Just be faithful. Stay focused on Jesus. Remember the, the great cloud of witnesses, all the people that have come before us that have been faithful, that have paved the way. Don't get to the place where you think you've arrived. Let's forget what's behind. And, and Paul says, focus on the race that God is already equipping me to accomplish today. Then we can remain faithfully focused. Not only this year, but until he comes to take us home. Heavenly Father, would you move in our hearts this morning?